So if you're new to Vintage, my name's Scott Crawford. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm uh, glad you're here. Um, how many of you were here last week? Okay, most of you. So you, what, what were we talking about last week? Who could, who could just kind of say one thing about what we talked about last week if you were here? We have no right to be disappointed because the reality is Jesus made a promise. That we see throughout Scripture, and that promise is that He is going to send His Holy Spirit into our lives. That He came to redeem your life and my life. That not only do we get to spend eternity with Him in heaven, if we turn our hearts to Him and trust in Him, but that He will fill us with His very presence. The very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes to live Inside you and inside me. And friends, that is good news. There is nothing to be disappointed in when the spirit of God is running our lives. Now, let me just tell you. If you've got some disappointment. That's because we all have, you know, and I'll be kind of crude, you know, on it is we all have a little bit of a of a cheek on the throne. OK, of our lives. And that will lead to disappointment. But. God is good and he loves us and he is full of grace. And so he leads us in this process. We call in the church sanctification where he gently and sometimes, you know, uh, not as gently helps us kind of out of that throne seat. Because that really when we experience the fullness of life, it's really when he sits on the throne of our lives. You see, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, a great Danish theologian. Said it, said it this way. He said, purity of heart is to will one thing. Let you think about that. Purity of heart. Purity of heart is to will one thing. We see this being reflected as, as the father in heaven looks down and, and spoke of his servant, David. He said, this is a man after my own heart. And we see David's heart, I think, best reflected in Psalm 27, 4, where he says, one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life and to seek him in his temple. This one thing is what God's desire is for our heart to be focused on. And the more that our heart is focused on this one thing, to see the beauty of our God, the more our real life starts to happen. If you're new here, we've been using that real life language a lot around here. Real life is is being the person God created you to be and doing the things that God created you to do. But see, here's the reality. We can't do that in and of ourselves. It takes him coming to live his life through our bodies and fill us with his spirit. And that is good news, because if you just try to live a good life, then you just have a moral standard that the Christian principles give us. And you can't live the life that God intended for you apart from his spirit coming and filling you. Doesn't happen. But the good news is, it's a promise. And the Lord keeps his promises. So anything in you that may be a bit resistant, anything in you that might, might be trying to sit on the throne, then I got good news. The Lord, the Lord may even even offend you to help get you off of that, get you out of your, your comfortable place because he loves you too much for you not to have the fullness of life that he came to bring. 
We're going to dive in this morning into a really fun. I mean, you, like this is a cool story. Like if you don't read your Bible often, you need to go home and read this story. This story just makes me laugh when I read it. OK, so we're going to look at a really cool story in First Samuel this morning. First Samuel, chapter 14. Now, I, I've got to set the story up. And a lot of what you'll see. So read chapter 13 and 14 when you go home, because this is neat stuff. Right. So what happens in in chapter 13 is we see this king over Israel. His name's Saul. OK. And as we see in the first couple of verses of 13, he has about three thousand men in his army. He takes two thousand of them and he gives his son, Jonathan, a thousand. And they're in they're at war with this neighboring nation, the Philistines. Now, the Philistines, we see. Um, have have Israel a little outnumbered. You see, the Philistines don't have 3000 men. They have 3000 chariots. They have 6000 charioteers. And as scripture said, evidently it was beyond number. They have as many soldiers as there are grains of sand on the seashore. Now, I think that's just because they didn't know how to count that highway back then. But there was evidently a whole bunch of folks with swords and spears in the Philistine army. So if you're thinking, okay, Saul's got his 2,000 and Jonathan's got 1,000, well, that just, we're already, we're in, we're in a bad place. When you look at 3,000 chariots that the Philistines have. But nonetheless, they're at war. That's the scene. That's the stage that we're in. But, but it gets better. It gets, it gets a lot better. That the reality is, part of what started happening is that the Philistines... You know, we're just dominating in control. Then they said, OK, they're the Israelites. We need to cut off the Israelites ability to have blacksmiths, because if they have if they have a blacksmith, then they're going to turn whatever metal they can find into swords and be able to empower their army. So that tells us that Israel didn't have swords. In fact, it gets even more clear. The reality is that only Saul and his son, Jonathan, were the only two men that had swords in the whole army. Now, anybody see that to be a problem if you're going to war? Gives a little more understanding, right? Two chapters later, when you hear about David and Goliath, which we preached about about six weeks ago, of why David comes out with a, with a slingshot and why he has to chop Goliath's heads off with, with Goliath's own sword because he didn't have one. You with me? It's, it's not looking pretty for the home team in this battle. So they didn't have any blacksmiths to make them swords. The Israelites that were just doing their farming had to go to the blacksmiths of the Philistines in order just to sharpen the, the hoe and the sickle that they had. That's the scene. But wait a minute, it gets better. We hadn't gotten to 14 yet. We're still in 13. It gets even better. So Saul, king over Israel, has these 3,000 men. And, he decide, and there's a battle, a skirmish that's coming. And he does something he wasn't supposed to do. And Samuel, the prophet, comes to him and says, man, you weren't supposed to do that. So because you did that, the Lord has found favor with someone after his own heart. And he's referring to David, who is going to replace you as king. And when these 3000 men heard that, well, they went down to 600. It's not looking pretty for Saul and the nation of Israel. So here's the scene. 600 men. It must have been a big tree sitting under one tree. It must have been a big tree. Six hundred men. And when they. They literally, Scripture says they were in fear. 
Now, these are the this is the 600 remnant. Twenty four hundred at least have run off, as Scripture says, into the hillside, into the into the rocks, into the crest of the mountain and into the thickets. Some of them even went and joined the Philistines because they just were like, there's no hope. Six hundred remain faithful. With two swords and they're trembling in fear, it's not looking pretty. That's chapter 13. Chapter 14 is when we start to see the fun stuff happen. Jonathan, Saul's son, I'm going to read verse, begin we're reading verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So Jonathan sneaks out of his father's camp with his armor bearer and said, Let's go get in some action. I'm going to skip ahead to, to verse five. They're traveling along and they come they, they come in this valley. And there was one cliff stood on the north north toward Michmash and the other on the south toward Geba. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised fellows. And perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. Did you hear that? This guy is nuts. One man with an armor bearer, one sword between them, decides we're going to go get in a skirmish with some Philistines because perhaps the Lord would want to show us favor. What is impossible for my God, whether it's by many or whether it's by few? I'm going out ready for God to do whatever he wants to do. It gets better. Crazy, but better. Whether by many or by few, verse seven. Do the he turns to the armor bearer and he says, you know, are you with me? Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. There are two crazy people on the planet. And their name's Jonathan and whatever his armor bearer's name is, because they got one sword between them. They're going against this incredible army. And they honestly believe somehow, some way. God may want to. Use us to do something miraculous. It gets better. They're in this valley. There's a hillside on the north. There's a hillside on the south. And the story goes that the Philistines this encampment of Philistines is on top of the mountain. So what is the one military strategy that these guys have by sneaking up on this Philistine base sitting on top of a hillside when you're down in a valley? Surprise attack, right? Surprise attack. But no, no, no. That would be way too simple for Jonathan. Jonathan says to the to the armor bearer, this is what we're going to do. We're going to jump up out of these rocks we're hiding behind and let the Philistines know that we're here. And it'll be a sign from the Lord that if they say to us, come up here, then we know that the Lord has delivered them into our hand. But if they say we'll come down to you, then Scott's version is we know we better start running. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I would want a little bit clearer confirmation than that. I'm going to jump up out of these rocks and give away my only military strategic advantage. Give that away. And 
trust that they say, come on up here. That means the Lord's going to deliver them into my hand. There's, I just had a little problem with that, but that's the story. Okay? If you don't have a problem with that, then you don't enjoy the story. That's why you need to go read it. It's amazing at what these men were being stirred to do. And the armor bearer says, yeah, good idea. You need to read your Bible. I'm telling you, it's full of some awesome stuff. This, they need to make a movie out of one chapter. This is amazing. So they jump up out of the rocks and they start waving their arms and their hands. And the Philistines look down and they say, look, the, the Israelites are coming out of the clefts of the rocks and the thickets that they've been hiding in. Y'all come on up here. There's a part of me, if I was Jonathan, be like me, maybe they'll just say, we'll come down and meet you. Right. But now y'all come on up here. It gets better. Two men climbing up a hillside. What's the what's the next military strategic thing you don't want to do? Fight uphill. Scripture literally says they got down on their hands and feet to climb up the hill. Now, if you're going up a hill expecting to get into a skirmish. And these men up there, this encampment of men up there are waiting for you saying, come on, we want to teach you a lesson. Then there's a fight brewing. Ladies, if you didn't know that, if a man is standing on a hill and speaks to another man and says, come on up here, I got I got something I want to teach you. It's not a good thing. Okay, they're climbing on their hands and their knees. How do you how do you fight? I mean, Jonathan's got a wave of pretend sword because the armor bearer's got the sword. How you 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 got hands and you're like, and we're going to conquer you. But this is what happened. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. I mean, Jonathan popped up over this hill and it's like he ripped open his shirt and some Superman power popped out and all these men fell down. And the sword, the sword bear just goes around killing them. He didn't even give Jonathan the sword. Friends, I don't know. Either that's crazy or that's bold. And I'm here to tell you this morning that's bold. You see, the Lord does not have in store for you to live a life that's just normal. The Lord intends for you to live a life that people thousands of years from now would write a story about and say, look at what my God did in this story. Are you in on that? Because whatever you've lived in up till this day in your Christian life, I hadn't heard a story from you people yet that was worth telling people a thousand years from now about. And I hadn't had that story fully take place. But let me tell you a story that is. It's from this man who loves me and is beautiful 
And the more I pursue this life of Christianity and the more the Holy Spirit wells up within me, the more clearly I see this man and the price that he has paid and how much he loves me. And let me tell you, friends, that is life. Until your mind and your heart are awakened, and I mean awakened by God doing a work awakened, awakened to the price that he paid because how much he loves you until your mind and your heart are awakened to a greater reality and a fullness of what he's done because he loves you. You haven't tasted true life. But I got good news. His plan from day one and how he created man was for us to know him. And he's given a promise. And said, I will give you my spirit to come live inside of you. And it is not about you anymore. It's about me living through you and awakening you to the life I created you to have. At Vintage, we call that real life. And who knows what story God wants to tell through you. Are you prepared to bring your will to the table? Are you ready to live a life focused on one thing? We talked about it last week. Jesus is with his disciples and he's asked them, who are people saying about me? Peter says, you're the the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh, you did not discover that yourself, but the spirit of God revealed it to you. And he goes on to say this famous passage of. And on this, I will build my church. And just a moment later, Jesus is, is telling about the death that he, he's going to breathe. He's going to, to endure. And, and Peter stands up and says, no, Lord, we won't let it happen. And immediately Jesus turns to Peter and said, get the behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you do not have in mind the things of God, but instead the things of man. How much of our lives do we live being a stumbling block To God flowing through us into the world before us because we do not have our minds fixed on the things of God, but instead the things of man. It's a principle that's true. But I've got good news by his spirit. He will lead us into a life that can be fixed on the one thing, not distracted by the things of the world but embracing the fullness and the reality and every day a growing knowledge, more and more clarity of who this man is because he's real in my life. I can just tell you over the last eight days, God has ripped my face off. Every day I've just been in a greater way overwhelmed with thinking about this man and how beautiful he is. And how much he's done for me. Friends, I think that's just a drop of a taste. And let me tell you, you don't want to miss drinking from this well. Jesus said in John chapter 7. When I give you my spirit, he will come live inside of you and will flow out of you and be a well of living water. Now, what we're diving into in this coming season as a church is that if you if you're here, you know that our name is Acts is Vintage 242. And that's 
based on the 242 part is based on Acts 242. Acts 242 is, let me just read it so I don't butcher it. Acts 242, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of, uh, to breaking bread and to prayer. That's 242. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking bread and to prayer. That's our plan. Moving into this fall, we have a plan for everybody at Vintage, ideally, to be a part of a community in your home doing Acts 242. That we don't just do 242 here at church when we have an Acts 242 night, we have potluck and everything else. We want you to be the church and go break bread with one another and have some level of discussion based on what you heard from this pulpit preached on Sunday and see what God wants to do as you pray. I got good news. What happened as they did this amazing things start to follow that then they started to share all that they had in common. Now, that's a that's a miracle in and of itself. But not only that, signs and wonders, miraculous things started happening. And all of the people in the city started to get excited. And the Lord said, and they added to their number daily. Just keep reading the rest of chapter two. You see. I've grown up in understanding and being a part of church for the most part. My experience has been, I don't know what yours has been, but my experience has been that I understood church was a place that you come and receive. You come and worship in, in corporate worship and that you receive teaching. And it, it like this analogy of kind of a sponge that I came and just kind of let, you know, mm, let me, I'm kind of dry from this week. I got squeezed out. Let me come and get filled back up. Right. And friends, that's not the plan. The plan is for you to not come just to receive the plan. If you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you. Just think of a pipe. The Holy Spirit wants to come and fill you up and flow through you. Not for you to have a cap on the end of who you are and it just fills you up. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you and to do things through you that are not about you, but are for other people and do things that glorify his father in heaven. Are you interested in being a part of the bold? You see, our little campaign that we're doing this this fall, you know, we're asking you to go from being a person. If this if vintage 242 is your home, then you're in. But we're asking you to go all in where the plan is for you to go. The plan is when we open up the doors, it's not to bring people in. When we open up the doors, it's to send you people out because the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you to minister to people. So when you wake up next Sunday morning, don't be coming to church because you believe that this is a place for you to come and get your sponge wet. Come next week expecting to be a part of a community that you're here to minister to the other people and be a part of a community that builds one another up and empowers and equips and disciples and, and, and encourages one another. That's the New Testament church that they came together and they shared what they had in common and they were there to minister to one another, not by their own effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, I was stuck out in a swamp in the boon, boonies of Arkansas one day on a duck hunt. Out in the middle of nowhere, one afternoon, scouting for ducks and our motor. It's not working all of a sudden. You're supposed to turn a key and it crank up, turn the key and nothing's happening. This is not a good thing. If you were if I could.
take you there, you would say, yeah, I do not want to spend the night here. The mosquitoes are everywhere. I mean, it is this is the middle of no. Nobody will find us. Right. Eventually. But this is not a good thing for us, for the motor to quit working. So you can you can take this rope and that you have ability to wrap a, a rope around the top of the of an outboard motor and, and try to crank it by hand. OK. And so I start doing this and my buddy starts working on on the battery to figure out what the problem is and, and figure out what's happening. And I'm over there and it's cold outside, but I start shedding clothes and taking my jacket off and I'm pulling as hard as I can pull to try to get this motor cranked and it won't crank. And I am just sweating profusely. Minutes go by. And the next thing my, that, that I know, my buddy says, OK, let's try it. I think this might work. And I turn the key and boom, it fires up. Friends. Most of us are living our spiritual lives, pulling on a string that was never a part of the plan because God's plan is for us to hook up to the power of who he is and have that fuel our lives and empower us to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. If you're living your Christian life empowered to think that you are bringing something to the table, then you are not living in the fullness of your real life because Jesus wants to flow through you and change lives before your very eyes. Can I get an amen? God has something more in store for you and for me. Are you interested in being all in? It will sound like to the world that you are being crazy to go up on your hands and your feet without a sword in hand and to take on the battle of this world. But let me just tell you, our God loves to bring glory to himself and to bring power on the scene that nobody was expecting. That's me getting fired up. If you didn't notice. Are you in or are you all in? Because if you're not all in, you're missing out on what is going to happen. God wants to do extraordinary, unimaginable things from where you've been through you. But you got to get you out of the way. Let me just tell you something. I'm about to defend you. We're asking you, part of what we're asking you to is to, we're going to open up the doors and for you to go out. And if you're going to go out with the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, then you've got to probably get some stuff out of the way and quit cranking. You know what I'm talking about? There's probably some stuff he's wanting to do to say, okay, that's how you live before. Now let me show you how to live anew. There's a lot more. Jesus said that I had to share with you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be your counsel and your guide and he will remind you. He will lead you into all truth because there's more I want to say to you. He will reveal it to you. He will only take from what is mine and repeat it to you. Just as I live my life completely being obedient to my father and only doing what I see my father doing and saying what I see the father saying. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will simply say what I have more to say to you. He will lead you in this life. Are you living your life? recognizing and being fully dependent on who he is. If you're not, I got good news for you. It's called the gospel. And if you're thinking about a situation, okay, I'm supposed to part of what part of what the plan is for the for the adult part and, and you know, our families of these small groups we're, we're kind of diving into. Part of the plan is for me to open up my doors and, and welcome people into my home and, and trust that God is going to flow through me and minister and, uh, and, and talk a little bit about something that happened in the sermon and pray and eat bread, food. I like lasagna, right? That 
then, oh, okay, but I got probably somebody just thought of their calendar and said, okay, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to figure that out. I don't know if I got room for that. If you don't have room for that, friends, you don't have room for the gospel in your life. Because the gospel is not about you. Good news is it's for you, but it's not about you. The gospel is about you loving your the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and loving your neighbors yourself. It's not about you loving you and you putting your priority ahead of the gospel. You see, the gospel is about the Holy Spirit empowering you and flowing through you to minister who he is to who they are. And lives change before your very eyes. And that's a story worth telling. And as we see what starts happening in the New Testament, then people started telling that story and more and more people started growing in number. But it wasn't because some person is equipped and they, they're, they're a good they're a good string puller. No, it's because there's a power source that comes to the engine and fuels things in a whole new way. Are you with me? God has so much more in store for you. And for me. And as Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. But let me just tell you, friends, there's some dams in the way. We don't have to go through and name what all those dams would be. Because they all come down with one thing. And it is you bringing your will to the table to lay before the Lord. Say, have your way. You are the steward of your will. Scott's definition of your will is Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's Scott's definition. I would summarize that to say that's your will. Are you willing to come before the Lord and invite him to lead you in the next step? To be your guide in this journey we call life and say, your will be done. Have your way in me. It's not about me. It's not about my schedule. It's about you. And you will witness lives transform before your very eyes because of who he is and what he's about. Is always pointing to this beautiful man. And this, what this beautiful man did was he brought life. And if we follow him in it, it's a life that he says of abundance. So if there was a part of you that got offended that you don't have time for the gospel, then that was yourself. That was a little bit of the cheek kind of sitting on the throne seat. And that's OK. If you go to a church that never offends yourself, then let me tell you in the wrong church. I'm here to lovingly. Prod along and say. Let's get that out of the way because it's holding back this river of real life that Christ created has in store for you to live. So by all means, let's let's encourage each other with some little with a little correction to get whatever our minds are fixed on and just say, OK, now that sounds a lot like what Jesus said to Peter. Remember that, you know, maybe you don't say it in that way. I use some grace. But you, what he said to Peter, you're a stumbling block to me because you're Peter. You got in mind the things of man instead of the things of God. We're here as a body, as a staff to help encourage you in this process. But we absolutely believe that there is a power that wants to flow through you and lead you to things you can't even imagine. 
Are you with me? God is good. And his plan is to turn us loose. So let me ask you, before you came here today, think back on on this story of Jonathan and the, and the armor bearer and and Saul and the 600 and maybe the 2400 that are hiding in the clefts. And maybe some of them went and joined the, the Philistine army. And. Where would you say. You are in the story. Before you came here today. Maybe a lot of you are among the faithful. 600 that stayed. Maybe, maybe some of you have found yourself hiding, saying, man, that situation, that thing, that person, that boss, that neighbor, whatever. That, it's just it's impossible. You're just hiding away from that relationship. That's an uncrankable motor. God's invitation because he loves you today to say, can you dream a dream? Can you trust me? Because I've got an encampment on a hillside with your name on it. I want to live that life. My challenge to you today is to speak to you through the voice of Jonathan and invite you to be the, the, the armor bearer. And for your heart to respond, whatever your mind is, Lord, I'm with your heart and soul. And that's you bringing your willingness to the table. So I'm inviting you. I'm not just inviting you to sign up to host a group and have people into your home and bite people here and bite your neighbor. That's Vintage's effort to help structure an opportunity for you. Absolutely. We want that to happen. What I'm inviting you to is that when you walk out the door, you walk out the door with having surrendered your will in a new way, in a fresh way to the Lord this morning. And you walk out that door with the absolute plan to live your life with one focus and say it is you to gaze upon your beauty, to seek you in your temple for you to do whatever you want to do through me. Just help get me out of the way. And to choose to take a step toward your real life. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you just, uh, by your spirit, Lord, you just lead us to the truth of um, the life that you called us to. There's the man who can give so much, work so hard, serve and do so many different things in his own power to to feed the homeless, to, to help those in need, uh, to, to, to care for people in, in tough situations. And then there's the man that, that has uh, the same heart but is filled with your spirit who can do so much more. So much more, Lord. And it's all for you. Lord, that there... There are signs and wonders. There are miraculous things. There are, there are blind people who, who you want to 
lead to be able to see again. There are deaf people that you want to touch and, and heal. There are, there are lame people that you want to see walk. There are people with demons that you want to set free. There, there is good news that needs to be preached to the poor. Lord, there are legs that you want to grow to, to lengthen so that both legs are the same length. There are dead people that you want to have hands laid on and see people come back to life. Lord, I don't know what all the miraculous plans are that you do. That's just the list that you gave us to say, but even greater things than these. But Father, we don't come to you asking for miracle signs and wonders so that we can get all worked up and get excited. Lord, I think there's even something greater that happens. And that is that just as you said, that as, as you come to me and be my disciples, they will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So, Lord, come and lead us to love one another in a radical way, which means we can't love as we know how to love, Lord. You've got to hook up the power source of love and expand our capacity to love in a whole new measure. And thank you, Lord, that that is your plan. Lord, it is not your plan for us to get distracted by the wonders that you may do. It is your plan to reveal yourself and for us to grow in a knowledge and an awe that leads us to only say you are worthy. You are worthy, Father. Thank you for this life that you've given me. Now come fill it that it can be spent to worship you. Come and have your way, Lord. If you're here.